Wonderful. Let's grab out our Bibles. We're going to share some scriptures together. Father, I just thank you for your incredible kindness, your love that we can never exhaust, can never outrun it. We can never even fathom its height and its depth and its breadth. And I pray, Lord, as we spend time this moment here in your presence, that you would come and open our eyes. And not just our eyes to see you, but our hearts to know you. Thank you, Lord, that your word, as it is proclaimed, accomplishes all that you desire. And I pray through the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would do the work that is on your heart, in our hearts, in our midst as your people this morning. We're here for you. We're here to love you. We're here to know you. And we just acknowledge our need of your grace and your touch this morning. Give us listening ears to hear what it is you're saying to us personally and as your people today. And we just say that we love you, Lord, that you are the desire of our hearts and ever you will be the one that we seek after, the one that we lay our lives before in wonder and adoration and in thanks with great joy for all that you've done for us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's turn to 1 John. We're going to continue our series, working our way through this epistle, this letter, remembering, of course, that John is writing. Truth and love is our framework for the series. And he's writing to bring clarity and certainty in uncertain times. We've been for the past three sessions in 1 John. I know we had a break last week for Pentecost Sunday. But we've been talking about truth. And from verse 18 onwards, he begins with this title that he uses often. He says, children, remembering that he's an older man and he's writing to people whom he loves, his kids, his children, his beloved ones whom he'd spent his life for to, encu <coughs> to encourage them and to see them be prepared and grounded and established in the reality of who Christ is and his, his love and his grace and his mercy. So we began in 18 to say children. And then he paints a picture of periods of deception. Deception that he was facing then and deception that as we read the passage is obvious that he believes will come. Particularly as we approach the return of Christ. And so he says do not be deceived. There is truth. Truth is important. That was really our opening message from the passage talking about truth. Then last time we looked primarily at verse 24 about the reality of truth as a foundation. That whatever it is that we want to build personally as a society, you cannot remove the foundation of truth. You can't get away from belief. And not only is truth a foundation, but truth is in fact a framework. And so often we hear, well, we need to remove truth in order to have a more loving, a more tolerant society. And as we looked at not only the reality in our society, but the reality revealed through Scripture, we see that the exact opposite is in fact true. And the phrase was this, it's truth that provides the framework for the fullest expression of love. And removing truth doesn't in fact create a more loving society to be a little bit like we decide as a society just to turn off traffic lights. See how we would go. How would that work? We've got lots of roundabouts here, so we might be okay. Or even better if we said, well, let's, talk, let's not turn off the lights. Let's just leave them open to interpretation. Whatever feels 
Whatever floats your fancy, you go for it. Be a little bit like driving in India. Anyone driven in India before? Remember the first time driving through India? Yes, I was with Peter at the time. And we couldn't believe it as we saw someone who was heading in our direction just turn into oncoming traffic. And the strangest thing about it was nobody seemed to mind. Everybody just parted and off they went and it was complete chaos. Anarchy. But we need truth. You cannot truly love someone for who they're not and you cannot be loved for who you are not. And this is the, from a Christian perspective, the essence of why truth is so important. And then we talked about not only the fact is truth something that leads us to principles. Principles are wonderful. But the reality of Scripture is that truth leads us to a someone, not a something. Truth leads us to a person. Truth leads us to this radical God who made a way and continues to invite us into relationship with him. And let's pick it up. That's by way of review to get us all on the same page. Verse 27, chapter 2, 1 John, he says this, The anointing you've received abides in him. You have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So here's this reality again getting us up to speed of John saying, remember this, the Spirit of God is with us. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. The Spirit will come and He will lead you into all truth. So therefore, abide in Him. In verse 28, and now little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. I love this picture here. Just think about this for a moment. See, I've found with my own children, there's often one of two responses when daddy comes home, especially if I've been away for a little while. And last year, I was overseas for a period of three weeks, and I remember so clearly the four girls were waiting there at the bus stop. And literally, I was not even off the bus. I was halfway down, and there was a mob of young children coming from everywhere. And they were so excited and joy-filled and I was so excited and joy-filled to see them and it was this wonderfully mutual expression of love. So there's one response. It's not always that response though when they hear that daddy's coming and in fact we've noted Ali and I in our parenting that it's not normally the noise that you worry about when the kids, you have a house full of kids, there's noise, it's going to happen, it's the silence. If there's no noise, then you begin to be a little concerned. And I'll say, look, I'll go and just have a peek and see what's happening. And as you walk up the stairs, you hear the screeches of young children saying, Daddy's coming! Quick! Quick! Daddy's coming! And then you know you're in for something. You're in for a surprise. But it's one of two responses, and that's what John's saying. We do not shrink from him in shame because he's our joy. He's our delight. He's the fullness of of that which we long for, that's that which we were born for, to know Him and love Him and be with Him forever. We covered that a little bit last time, so this now is new. Verse 29 says, If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. We could unpack that a lot, but just capture this thought he's saying this if you know that he is righteous if you see him for who he is then not only is there an awareness of who he is and we've covered this but this is what i want us to focus on this morning but this we know as well everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him 
See, the truth leads us not only to who he is, it leads us to this reality and understanding of who we are. We see him for who he is, and there's a reality as well of who we are, that we have been born of him. And in one of the most wonderful passages in all of this little letter, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are. Just find someone next to you and give them that encouragement. You are a child of God. You are. It's who we are. And, you know, I think so often we, we know that. And we sing about that. We sung about it this morning. But do we actually experience that? That reality of what that means? Do we actually know it? Do we actually live it out? Let's continue on. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. See, this is not something that will happen one day. This is not the reality that we'll find upon eternity's shore as we enter into the pearly gates, as wonderful and magnificent as that will be, as we gaze transfixed, as we've sung about on the beauty and the glory of Jesus' face. But he's saying we are now. This is now. But then it even gets better. And then what will, and, and now what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we then shall see him as he is. So there is this acknowledgement that it's like we see and we live in part. We do. And the fullness one day will be revealed as with unveiled eyes we see the majesty of our God. But there is this reality that John is saying. There's truth that's a foundation. There's truth that's a framework. There's truth that leads us to a person. And don't worry, we'll be off this bandwagon of truth after this week. But there's truth that leads us not only to the reality of who he is, but the reality of who we are. We see him for who he is. We recognize that we're born again. And we live now as the sons and the daughters of God. You don't seem convinced, but I'm telling you it's good news. This is good news. This is really incredibly, amazingly good news. We will not be ashamed because we receive the desire of our hearts, the longing of every human soul, the limitless, extravagant love of the eternal God. And I know I've already said this, but I think there is this tendency at times in our lives, even in churches such as ours. We talked last Sunday about Pentecost and really pursuing God's presence and the fact that God is a God of presence and he wants to be known by us, which he does. It's this wonderful reality all the way through scripture. But we've always got to remember and bear in mind that the prize is not the gifts. The prize is not anything he can do. And he promises, and we preach about it so often, he promises that his goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. He promises us that he wants to provide. He promises us that he wants to give us good things. And they're wonderful. And we don't want to forget 
or neglect. We want to live in thankfulness for all that He does and all that He provides. But we never want to lose sight of the reality that the ultimate prize is Him. It's not anything He has done or He will do. It's Him. He is the prize. That's why He purposed us in His heart before the foundation of the world. Because He desires and He loves us. And if He loves us that much, how much more does He desire that we would know and experience and encounter His love? What sort of a father would I be if I, my wife and I decided to have a family and I said, well, I want to have kids, but I want to just keep them at a distance. I want to just make sure that there's never any interaction, that they realize that I'm separate, I'm removed, they have their little area of the house, I have mine, and perhaps once, twice, maybe three times in their lifetime, I'll come for a visit. That's not the desire of a father's heart, is it? It's to be in constant and continual communion with those whom he loves. So that's where we're headed. That's the message. And let's just explore this a little bit. And what I want to really do is I want to unpack what this means for us in terms of identity. And for some of us, this will be very basic. Hopefully for many of us, because we're a church that talks about this kind of thing very often. But I just felt from the Lord that it was important to go to a couple of different places this morning. But I find it fascinating that we live in a society of labels. I don't mind labels. Anyone like labels? I have a wife that likes to label everything. Everything's neatly labeled, shelves and nails. It's, it's great. Labels are good, but we label our food, don't we? And it's amazing as I look at the food. What would be really helpful for me is if they actually labeled the content of food. That would be good. Because you look and there's like 15,000 ingredients. You need a science degree to actually determine what you're eating. Rather than saying 3% fat or this... Why don't we just label, this is 10% real food. That would be helpful. <laughs> we label our drinks. We label our clothes. We label everything. But here's the reality as well. We've developed all these labels for who we are as people, for our identity. And we've talked a little bit about this as we've gone through, just some current contemporary issues. But we've run out of letters of the alphabet, haven't we? For all the labels that we can give to people, LGBTQI, etc., 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 labels. And I find this fascinating. Why is it that we feel this need to label everything? And there's almost two opposite pushes. Here's some examples, and I know, as I said, we've covered some of these issues in previous weeks, but they just continue to arise in terms of media. J just from the last week, here's two, you'll understand. Bear with me, not talking about the issues so much as what they say about us as a society. But here was one particular um, article reported on by Sunrise. You might have seen this this last particular week. And it said this, councils in Victoria are banning the terms boy and girl as they remove gender stereotyping from libraries and kindergartens. Anyone see that particular one? Few of us did. And the whole push was, uh, cutting a very long story short, the idea that you'd put boys and girls in a classroom, you'd remove anything, books, anything at all, toys that had any gender associated so that there would be no label at all. There's no label. We're removing all labels and just allowing them to be label-free, label-free existence. And yet also this past week on Tuesday I read this. 
And I think this was posted a month before, but it went viral this particular week. There was a website which shared a series of tweets from a woman whose name was Karen, who said that her three-year-old nephew slash godchild proudly admits that he's gay. So three-year-old admits that he's gay, and that was celebrated. That was put forward as a wonderful thing. He's got this label and a number of websites grabbed onto that. Now, issues aside, here's what I'm trying to get to. I think it's fascinating as a society that on the one sense there is this push to remove all labels. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live label-free, if we could not have any labels at all, any sort of thing that could constitute a label We'll remove it. That sounds wonderful to me, actually. I don't like labels. And yet, on the same time, there is this push for we need to have more labels. And we need to give kids labels as young as they possibly can bear labels. And I think there is this confusion. What do we want to do? We're not really sure. But what we are sure of, or what, it, what seems a certainty to me, is the more we remove identity the more we're still desperately searching for it. It's a bit like Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so part of us wants to remove any labels, and then part of us says, well, we need another alphabet to find some more. We'll run out of English, we'll go to Greek, Hebrew, something. We'll find some more labels. Part of us wants to say, let's not live with any labels. And part of us wants to say, well, just search, search inside yourself and find the label, and then hold up that label with great pride and passion and perseverance. And see, this is the society that we're in. It's like there's this identity vacuum. We're trying to remove identity, but then we're trying to replace it with more labels than we've ever had in history. I listened to a recording this week, thank you to Howie, who passed it on from Frank Peretti. He had this quote. It was a great quote, I thought. He said this about this tendency to search inward to find ourselves. He says, don't search inward to find yourself. You're the one who's confused. (laughs) And that's the tendency. We say, well, just search search inward. There's a, a vacuum, but we need to fill it with labels. And all of that to say this. Here's my point. It seems to me that there is this innate, undeniable reality in the human heart, regardless of what society can try and do to remove things, there is this undeniable reality that we're here for a purpose. There is. That our life has some meaning, that we have the self-awareness to recognize and realize that there's something more to this whole picture. There is. Calvin puts it this way. He has this wonderful work, very well known, called Knowledge of God. And he says this. He observes that we know ourselves only as we come to know God. And we know God in turn as we gain knowledge of ourselves. And I love this phrase. He says, it's not just that we know, but that we are known and begin to live life in the light of that awareness. And see, John here is going to the heart of why we are on this planet. And truth leads us somewhere, not just to a principle, we said that, not even just to a person, but to the reality of who we are and who we are created to be. 
He's saying effectively this, that you are God's, that you're chosen before the foundation of the world, that you're purposed in his heart of love, that he formed you, that he brought you into this world with great joy and pleasure of his desire, that when no one else would fight for you, he fought for you, that when no one else would stand by you, he came and he stretched his arms on a cross and he was pierced for us. And to forever demonstrate his love and his eternal purpose for our lives. He'll never fail us. He will never leave our side. This is the reality of our identity. And yes, we live in a world that has labels. But in some ways that's okay because we were created for a label. But the label that we were created for is sons and daughters of the living God. Sons and daughters. Let's just think about that for a moment. Why is God interested in sons? What is it in the heart of God? In his eternal purpose and plan. And if you read scripture, you'll see that from the beginning to the end, God is on this mission. He's on this mission. He's glorifying his name. And yet the centerpiece of God's purpose and plan is humanity. First Peter says that we may proclaim the excellencies, the majesty, and the wonder of who he is. That's our mission, to make his name great. Now that's not amazing in and of itself. That's what we'd expect God to be doing. We'd expect him to be making his name great. What is phenomenal and blows my mind every time I think about it is that this was the mission of God. You see, he didn't make his name great by building a monument. He could have. He didn't make his name great by just creating wonderful things to show off his might and his wonder and his majesty. Although he did do that. Creation that's all around us. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to purpose in my heart before I lay the foundation of the world, you and me. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm choosing to make my name great. And so often we misunderstand the nature of what God requires us or the reason that God has created us for. We think that God has created us to do something. Whereas the reality is it's far more true to say that God has created us to be something. He's not just wanting people to do. He's wanting people to be. To be his son's and daughters. I can only speak from my own fatherhood, but it's a wonderful picture. And I can tell you that my wife and I never sat around when we were sensing from the Lord, when we were at a time in our relationship where we wanted to have children. We didn't have a meeting and say, you know what? It would be wonderful to have some little people to do things for us. I mean, there's a big house. There's chores to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just have a chores list on our fridge, and we could just get them doing things. We sat down and we had this conversation, and such was our love for one another that we decided that the ultimate expression of our love for one another would be completed by bringing a child, God willing, into the world. And that's a little bit like the heart of our Father. He didn't create you and put you on this planet so that you could do lots of things for him. He put you on this planet 
so that you could be an expression of his love. Purposed in his heart before the foundation of the world. I love Romans. It says, all of creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons and the daughters. They're longing. They're looking in. Thinking, ah, if we could just see the glory of God revealed in his sons and daughters. And that begins not as we do, but as we recognize who we are and who we're called to be. So I want to talk just very briefly about this. There's two places I think that so often we go to to find our identity. It would be nice to just leave, leave this as a theoretical sermon. There's identity issues in the world, but it doesn't really apply for us in the church. My identity's fine. I know God. And yet I would suggest to us that each and every one of us here, including myself, have moments. And for me, it's probably more than moments. It's my entire life where we struggle to truly find our identity in him. Where we find other labels that perhaps suit us a little better, a little easier, rather than the label that we were created for. And there's probably three main areas. So often we go to performance, we go to problems, or we go to people. Performance, problems, people. I'm going to touch on at least two very quickly this morning. Certainly all of these are valid in my own life as areas and places that I would go to to seek identity. And then I want to bring us back to this place where we recognize where our identity should be, where we understand what it truly means to be the sons and daughters he's called us to be. So the first one is performance. And, and talking about children, it's amazing how many aspects of yourself you see in your kids. Any parent ever noticed that? There's plenty of things that you're like, that's good. There's plenty of other things that you notice and you're like, oh dear. <laughs> oh dear, Lord, Lord, help, help us all here. Help us all here. But I noticed this tendency as our eldest daughter started school, and I've shared this story before, but it's the best one I've got to illustrate this particular point. And as she started school, and she always loved the whole environment of school, she loved it. From primary school, this was kindergarten, her first year of school, she was there, she was having a great time, and I said to her, sweetheart, how's school? She said, Dad, it's amazing. She just loved it. That part didn't come from me at all. I hated school, couldn't stand it, wanted to be doing something fun. But the next part, I think, is certainly reflecting my nature as well. But she says to me, as she's doing school, she says, Dad, you know, the most amazing thing is that at school in the classroom, there is this pegboard system. I said, what do you mean? What's a pegboard system? Well, she said, it's amazing. There's this whole color chart, and everybody in the class has a peg. And if you're really good, then you move up the color chart. And if you're really bad, you move down the color chart. So it took her about two days, and she had the pegboard color chart figured out. She had it down pat. She said, Dad, I know exactly what I need to do. I got purple today. And that was all I heard about school. I said, are you learning anything? Well, forget about the learning. Let me tell you about the pegboard. I've got purple. I've got purple three days in a row. This is fantastic. She was so consumed by the system of the pegboard control system and getting purple every day. And then one day she came home from school. She was so excited. I said, sweetheart, what, what is it? She's like, Dad, you're never going to guess this. All the kids in the class got assigned different jobs, doing different things. Dad, guess what? She said, Dad, I'm the pegboard controller. My job is that I get to move the pegs up and down. 
Well, that was a whole new experience because not only did I get her review of the day, I got the review of everybody else in the class. Dad, I had to remove three boys down today and three boys up and three boys around. And so this was a little pegboard system. The problem is that any system, whatever it is, eventually will fail. And so this is only probably a couple of months in and she came home and she was distraught. She was very upset. I said, sweetie, what's the matter? She said, Dad, I just had the most horrible day. She's very dramatic. My life's over. I don't know how I can go on. She gets that from her mother, I think. <laughs> Love you, sweetie. Um, just digging out of the hole. How do I get back out? Um, where was I? You distracted me. So she had a bad day at school. She came home. I said, sweetie, what's wrong? She said, Dad, I just had the, the worst day of my life. I said, darling, what happened? You know, something really bad happened at school. And she said, oh, well, we had a relief teacher. I said, well, that's okay. You know, you're going to get some relief teachers. That's fine. What was wrong? And she said, no, Dad, you don't understand. The relief teacher didn't know the system. Didn't know the system. And so she didn't know how to cope. How do I function when there is no system? And you see, the reality is that that's the way certainly that I've lived my life is that I know all the things that I need to do to perform. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. The problem is that when anything becomes our identity, where that's my identity, I've got to get to purple or I will not feel okay about myself. And when we're in that cycle, it's never enough. There's always more and it always leads us to disaster. Here's a personal journey from my own life. And I could share many of these, but this is a recent one. I had this particular point in my life, and I know a lot of you have heard this story, and I eventually started working for the church here in ministry. I somewhat reluctantly heard the voice of the call of God and said, well, I'm going to do it. And then I thought, well, if I'm here, I'm going to make sure that I'm the best Christian there is. I just am. I mean, God, you've done well in calling me and choosing me and saving me. Good choice. And I'm going to prove you right. And I'm going to make sure I'm the best Christian on the planet. I'm going to pray more than anyone else prays. I'm going to worship more than anyone else worships. I'm going to read my Bible with greater passion than anyone else reads the Bible. And the problem is, once you get caught up in that cycle and that becomes your identity, eventually it's going to fail you. And it did fail me. And I began to break down both physically and emotionally. I remember going into Peter's office, my pastor at the time. I said, Peter, I've had enough. I want to quit. I'm falling apart. And what I realized is that my whole identity had been caught up in what I could do and not who I was. And in that place of just being honest with the Lord, seeking him when everything else had fallen apart, the Lord spoke to me, and I'll never forget it. It was so clear and said, Andrew, you've never let me down. You've never let me down. And for me, that was so freeing. How could I ever let him down? He knows me completely. He knows who I am. And my identity has been so caught up in trying to please a God with all the things that I could do. See, the problem is that when anything we can do becomes our identity, it's just an illusion that will fail. 
very quickly, let me talk about this second one, and then I want to just allow the Lord to just minister, hopefully minister to our hearts this morning. If it's not performance, then I've found that so often and in the world that we live around us, we take our problems. We take the stuff that's happened to us, the mistakes that we've made, our mistakes, and we make them our identity. Here's another example from my kids. I remember one year, one of them came home and they'd had this report. It was a wonderful report. They'd had a really great year, first semester. We're going through, I was sitting with them, reading all the, the comments, all the marks. could see they were glowing and I've done so well. And it was the equivalent of having straight A's. And then right at the end of the report, there was one B. How many of you, let me, let me honestly ask you this question. How many of you, if you had a report of all A's, and one B, all you can think about is the B. I mean, I would have been cheering just to get any A's, let alone all A's. Well, she was like this, and we got to the B, and it was for German. She said, oh, I hate Germans. I mean, German studies, they came out all wrong. To get more holes. That was, not, that was completely accidental. I apologize for that. I hate German. hate studying German. And she lived for six months with this reality that she had to do better in German otherwise she was not going this was her identity I failed I'm a failure because I've got to be on the report and so often I've noticed it in our society here's what we do there is brokenness around us there are problems around us there is stuff but we've become a people who take the issues and we make it our identity now, there's, there's nothing wrong with issues. We, we live in a world that has problems. And we live in a world where we want to give things labels. But here's what I want to encourage us with. The brokenness around us is the context. It's not our calling. That's not where, what we're to grab a hold of as our identity. And we do it. I see this in young people all the time. We grab something. We get diagnosed with depression. Oh, I've got depression. Well, there it is. It's not something I have. It's who I am. I'm depressed. And we wear it like a label. Oh, I struggle in this area of my life. I'm a failure. Not that I have failed, and we all will fail sometimes, but that's my identity. That's who I am. And we wear it like a label. This is who I am. We find our issues, and we live them out as our identity. But the brokenness is the context and not the calling. See, the truth is this. There is nothing, there is no label that will ever serve us well other than the label that we're created for. Other than this reality that you're purposed, that you're designed in love to receive the adoption as sons and daughters of the living God. So if there's someone who can come play i want to just give the lord a few moments this morning can you put aside your notes that you're all taking i'm sure and just turn your attention to the lord because i really have that sense this morning as we've talked about this reality of who we are of truth not just leading us to a person. That's, that's wonderful to encounter and to know who Jesus is. 
That's where it begins. We've talked about that. There's no other foundation other than Jesus. There isn't. We want to know Him. But sometimes we do get stuck in knowing Him, but never allowing that reality of who He is to lead us to who He's called us to be. I've met many Christians, and they love the Lord. They love Him. They serve Him passionately. But they've never fully discovered what it is that He's created them for. Not just to be servants, but to be sons and to be daughters. And just as you close your eyes and you turn your attention to the Lord, I want you to ask yourself this question. This is between you and the Lord. Lord, where is it that I place my identity? Just ask Him that question. Just have a moment of just getting real with God. God, where is it that I find my identity? And maybe like me, and I'd like to say when the Lord dealt with that one particular example that I shared, that that was it. I never struggled with performance anymore. Never have any issues. But I've discovered that identity is something that we continually need to allow the Lord to remind us of and to bring us back to. We all have places that we go. Maybe it's not in performance. Maybe it's in your problem. There's always going to be problems. There is. There's always going to be stuff. But that's the context. That's not your calling. And the moment we move from that place of, I have problems, to I am a problem, then we're in trouble. Because it's the problem that then becomes our identity and that which defines us. So I just want to pray for us. Lord, I just had that picture so strongly this morning that this was a morning where just the light of your love and your grace and your goodness, like the morning sunshine would come and would just melt away. The hardness of heart, the coldness. And I pray, Lord, not only would you come and capture our hearts this morning, but you'd show us through the power of your Spirit. Lord, is there any places in my life that I'm looking to, any labels that I'm holding up? This is who I am, other than a son and a daughter of God. And I pray that you'd come and speak to us this morning. I just want you, just in that moment with the Lord there, I want you to allow the Lord to speak to you. If there's things, and I'd be surprised to be honest, if there wasn't something, some place, some area of your life, and all you need to do is allow the, the truth of what He says to come and pierce through the darkness of that night. Maybe it is a problem. You're like, oh, God... Not just I struggle with depression. I, I am. I'm depressed. Allow the light of the goodness of God into that place. And Lord, come and speak to that issue this morning. Come and speak to that. Whatever problem it is, if it's, if it's bitterness and it's unforgiveness and there's something there that you're hanging on to because that's who you are. God's saying, 
I just invite you to bring that to me. You, you, you don't need, it's not serving you well to carry around that unforgiveness and that bitterness. Just come and give it to me and allow my light to come and reveal who you are. The world is longing with eager expectation. Looking in to see the sons and the daughters of God. It's our calling. It's why we're here. And that's the invitation this morning to come back to that place where that's our identity. Not the stuff. Not what we can do. Not the problems around us. His sons and his daughters. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep, keep doing, Lord, what you're desiring to do in the hearts and the lives of your people this morning. Now, it might be that you're wanting just to spend some time there in your own space with the Lord. That's great. There's no need to rush and to leave. But I would encourage you, if there's stuff that you know hanging on to if there are things that you just need someone to stand with you in prayer we have a prayer team this morning here to love to pray for you because that's not your identity it's not who you are it might be the context of your life it's not your calling you are called to higher heights we don't want to allow anything Hold us back from the fullness of what he has for us as his sons and his daughters.